Hello, and welcome to Partners in Diplomacy, a podcast series exploring the service, sacrifice, and adventure of life as a Foreign Service family member. I'm your host, Bonnie Miller, and we're joined by Laura Sheehan, a Foreign Service spouse and lawyer turned expat career coach and strategist who has used her skills and versatility to adapt to Foreign Service life over the past 18 years and seven foreign postings. Welcome, Laura, and thank you for sharing your experiences with us today. Thank you so much, Bonnie. It's a pleasure to be here. So let's start with your early years. You were born in 1977 in Ohio. What was it like growing up in your family and community in the 1980s and early 1990s? Nothing short of wonderful, Bonnie. I mean, small town Ohio, it's just the iconic American childhood that we all picture in terms of growing up, being outside all the time, climbing in trees. Everybody knew everybody. So you went to William and Mary for college and then to the University of Richmond for law school. How did you decide to become a lawyer? I went to William and Mary and University of Richmond, both in Virginia, thinking, of course, that I was going to be in Virginia for my whole life. And I went to college not really sure what I wanted to study. I ended up majoring in philosophy, and philosophy means the love of wisdom or the study of life, how to live a good life, how to understand people and their motivations. So in that sense, it was a natural transition into law, because what else do you do with a philosophy degree, Bonnie? So how and when did you meet your husband, John? I signed up for a politics of the Middle East class. And there was John. He was in the same class as me, and that really started a, a friendship and then turned into more. So that was the start of your interest in the Middle East, which really helped you later on in your various postings. Yeah, I, I, at the time, was intrigued by the Middle East and wanted to know what was going on. In the 90s, of course, there was a lot going on in that area. And yes, it did end up serving me quite well for many years. So when you married John in 2002, he had already been in the Foreign Service. So how did you decide that this traveling lifestyle would be for you too? Bonnie, I love that you chose the word decide here because that really is something that I struggled with for a long time. You're right. It was a choice that I made to follow John in the Foreign Service. Did I really know what that meant? No. And I don't think that anyone can really fully grasp what this lifestyle is like until you start to live it. But yes, I, I did choose to follow him. I wanted him to be a part of my life. I wanted to be a part of his life. And that meant joining the Foreign Service and being a, an accompanying partner. So your first foreign posting with your husband was in Tunis, in Tunisia, from 2003 to 2004. So you were a lawyer. How did you get out of that restrictive box of, I am an attorney, Laura the lawyer, and I have to get a job in a law practice overseas? What did you do instead? Well, the interesting thing about Tunis was that it was just for a year, because it was part of uh, the language training program at the time. So I let myself not seek employment for that particular posting. And instead, I enrolled in a local university and started taking Arabic classes so that I would have some command of the language. And that was the best use of my time, really, in terms of making the transition from living in the United States, living overseas, getting accustomed to the many joys and challenges of living a life abroad, and also doing what I could in that time and location to move myself forward in a different way. 
So little did you know that you were going to have many postings during which you could use that Arabic, but that sounds like it was a good background for you and really helped you in your future postings in the Foreign Service. It really did. So what was it like to work as an administrative assistant in your next posting in the U.S. Embassy in Cairo from 2005 to 2007? So this position, Bonnie, was one that I never thought I would take on after having completed law school and and passing the bar and becoming a lawyer. Going from the title of lawyer to administrative assistant was a little bit of an ego blow. And the path that took me to that particular position was an interesting one because when I moved from Tunis to Egypt, I had every intention of trying to find a job working full-time as a lawyer. It didn't take long, though, for me to realize that that was going to be a lot more of a challenge than I had originally anticipated. And I also recognized that I needed to find a job that was going to allow me to be more portable in my career. And the best way to do that was to work with the embassy, where I knew that I could get a job every single place that we went. So being an administrative assistant was not the ideal job title for me. It wasn't the the job that maximized my talents and education but it was the job that opened the door and let me get my foot into the organization that then allowed me to travel with my husband from that point forward. And the operative word there is portable skills. What you could do that would serve you not only in that post, besides your language, which I'm sure helped in Cairo, but in ongoing posts as well. And then you went on to the U.S. Embassy in Riyadh in Saudi Arabia from 2007 to 2008. So tell us about your job as political attache serving in that embassy. This was one of my favorite jobs. Riyadh was an unaccompanied post, which meant that the only way that I could go to Riyadh with my husband was if I had my own full-time job. So it was absolutely essential that I had that clearance and had the ability to apply for jobs within the embassy in Riyadh. That role was amazing for me because in addition to doing substantive research and writing, I was also able to work on a number of VIP visits. So it was really a historic time to be in the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia to see another level of embassy operations and really just to understand better the bigger picture of what diplomacy does overseas. So had you and John, before you got married, discussed having children and raising them in the Foreign Service as third culture kids? Great question, Bonnie. No, we had, of course, talked about having kids. But again, things that I didn't think about when embarking on this foreign service journey was the impact potentially that that was going to have on our children. And I think the reason that we didn't talk through that very important topic at the time was because when we set out on our first set of tours, I wasn't sure how this was going to impact my career. And John and I really talked about taking it one tour at a time and reevaluating at every post to make sure that we were both moving forward in the way that we wanted to move forward individually and as a couple. So you didn't have a long-term plan for a huge career in the Foreign Service, but you had a mutual agreement of deciding, is this working for both of us? And as long as it works for both of us, then we'll keep doing it. Okay, so where and when were your children finally born? 
Right. So both our children were born in America. It was really important for me to be back in the States to have both children. I mean, as much as that is something that you can control. So what years were they born in? Our oldest was born in 2008 and our youngest was born in 2010. So you returned to Washington, D.C., and you worked at the State Department after your back-to-back foreign tours from 2009 to 2010 before going overseas again, and this time to Damascus. So what was life like for you and your family when you lived in Syria for eight months in 2010 and 11 From 2008 to 2009, John did an unaccompanied tour in Iraq. So we were coming off of a year of separation right before we were moving to Damascus. And we got to Damascus in the fall of 2010. And with a a six-month-old and an almost two-year-old in tow, Syria was beautiful, lovely, amazing. We were so happy to be reunited as a family and to have our first collective overseas adventure, the four of us. And a short eight months in was when the Arab Spring hit. In the months leading up to that, I was working in the embassy. Again, the State Department was so wonderful as to find a a part-time role for me to be able to continue my work and, and keep up my clearance and make sure that I was feeling fulfilled both personally and professionally And it was a great place to be able to balance that part-time work with family needs because we were able to have wonderful household help to help with the babies at home. So this was a dangerous post, and you and your two toddlers had to evacuate while John stayed in Damascus. What were those 18 months of separation like again for your family? And did you receive any support services from the community liaison office or the family liaison office while you were separated? I'll be honest with you, Bonnie. This was probably the lowest of the low in terms of our foreign service life. After having just completed a year of separation, realizing that we were going to have another separation and one that didn't have a defined end was something that was really difficult for us to go through. The girls and I left in April of 2011, and we did not see John again until February of 2012. And my my girls were so young that my, my youngest one didn't know who he was <laughs> when he did finally come back. And it took her a few years to be willing to let him hold her and, and be the father that he wanted to be. That, I think, was... The, the hardship that went along with that, just the, the stress, the not knowing, the fact that he was in danger every day, that everyone in the embassy in Damascus was in danger every day, and that we just didn't know what, what the next day was going to hold. The upside of that was that the clow and the flow were amazing, of course. They were so supportive. We had incredible administrative and financial assistance throughout that really long, arduous time. I also, like many people, moved back in with my parents. So there I was in my late 30s with two kids living back at home again for 18 months. And it was a struggle at first to navigate that relationship as adults, but it really brought me and my parents closer together. It created a very special relationship between my kids and my parents. And if it weren't for those times of hardship and challenge, we wouldn't have had the same kind of relationship that we do today. So that's 
really ironic in the sense that it brought your kids closer to their grandparents, which they wouldn't have had that. But yet when daddy came home, he was kind of a stranger and it, it took some adjusting to get used to having a family of four when he did come home. Yes. I'd honestly say, Bonnie, that that is probably the hardest part of an unaccompanied tour as a single parent just for that period of time. You do what you have to do to create a new structure, a new routine to get yourself and your kids through those through those days. And one of the hardest parts of an unaccompanied tour, regardless of the length, is reincorporating the officer back into your lives, making sure that they understand how they can be of help while at the same time giving them the space and the rest that they need to recover from the stress and the hardship of an unaccompanied tour. And this one just took longer because it was back-to-back unaccompanied tours. So then you go out to Tel Aviv in Israel from 2014 to 2016. How was life there and what were your activities? Bonnie, we like to keep life exciting. And so 2014, my husband left in June to go out to Tel Aviv a couple weeks before we were going to go as a family. And the day that the movers arrived at our house to pack us up was the day that the first rockets started flying in Israel for the war of 2014. And I called John immediately. And as soon as I saw the news and said, should I send the movers away? Because having just gone through an evacuation and having just completed two years of a semi-normal, settled life, I was very nervous about bringing our kids into another war zone and not being sure about whether or not we were going to be facing a second evacuation. He assured me, though, that everything was going to be fine. And it wasn't until the end of July that we ended up making it out to to Tel Aviv when, when the rockets had slowed down enough to allow flights in. We got there and the very next morning we're woken up by the sounds of the Iron Dome sirens going off and and the explosions. Those two years ended up being magical years. And yes, filled with stress and fear those first couple of months. Um, But it was important to have our family together again. Our kids loved their time in Israel. I was able to work remotely for a law firm that I had started working for back in the States for the first year that we were there. And then ended up going back to embassy work towards the end of that tour. So it was a rough start, but it it turned out really well. What were the things that you loved about Israel? So many things. Israel is just a magical place, the history that is there. And um, growing up in the church, being able to see the places that I had learned about from, from a very young age and really being able to put things into context was something that I will forever cherish as a part of my life. Okay, so from Israel, you departed for a completely different continent, completely different culture, and completely different tour. So you lived in Vietnam from 2016 to 2018 when John was posted in the embassy in Hanoi. So what were your activities there? Right. So it was time for a change, Bonnie, time to get out of the Middle East and over into a totally different area of the world. So off to Asia we went. And really interesting turn of events for me professionally. When I got to Hanoi, I had already applied for a job in the embassy and I was waiting for my clearances to come through for that particular position. And for whatever reason, there was just a holdup in in that hiring process. And that holdup allowed me to have a really 
powerful conversation with a few other spouses. All of the mothers were working mothers. And I started asking them about their career paths and how they had managed to keep everything kind of moving forward in a in a very traditional way over the times that they had moved and was at the same time lamenting and expressing my anger and resentment and sadness about the fact that I hadn't been able to do that in my professional life. And one of them turned to me and said, well, Laura, if you could do anything, what would it be? And I was stunned, Bonnie, because that question really turned everything on its head for me. If I, Laura, could do anything. And as an accompanying partner, my whole focus had been on what we needed to do for the mission, what we needed to do to support my husband's career, not on what I could do. And I had always been focused on the limitations of what I had, what I was allowed to do or what was available rather than the possibilities of all that I could do. And in that moment, I realized that I had been through so many career transitions that I had become an expert in resume writing, job searching, and interviews, and that I wanted to help other people navigate those challenges and avoid the obstacles that I had faced over the last 15 years. So the same woman turned to me and said, well, you know, there's a job that does that. And my mind was blown. Well, it's the Global Employment Advisor for the Global Employment Initiative of the Family Liaison Office. In fact, there is a vacancy right now for this very position, but based out of Bangkok. I reached out to the Flow Office. I sent my resume and cover letter directly to the Global Employment Office and said, please interview me. I need this job. This job was meant for me. And fast forward a couple of weeks, I got the offer, got the job, and took a total turn and pivot in my professional life from there. How interesting is that? Because what you thought was a downside of changing jobs and finding things and you didn't see the trajectory of it turned out to be an upside in a way that you could guide others to avoid those minefields. Exactly. It was one of the most joyful days of my entire life. And I had to persuade them to hire me because they really wanted to have someone in Bangkok and I was in Hanoi. And I said, listen, I'm in the same time zone. I'm a two-hour flight away. It's the same region because it was a regional position, not just based in that particular city. I said, I can make this work. And they took me up on that challenge and gave me the chance to, to prove that I could. So I know that there's probably no typical day in that job. What were some of the things that you were doing? The biggest responsibility is, number one, helping foreign service spouses see all the possibilities that are out there and help them put the pieces together of their professional lives to look for those opportunities, spot those ways to harness the here and now and, and to really move forward. And then the second part of that, once we identified those new roles or positions that we wanted to pursue, was putting together all of the application materials, you know, resume, cover letter, LinkedIn profiles, interview tactics and techniques, um, all of the practical parts of, of going through a job search and application. So you were basically like a career counselor to help accompanying family members to figure out what it was they wanted to do. And then the second piece was to connect them with possibilities out there where they were living or, or remote work. 
Exactly. Right. And it, it's, it covered the full gamut and still does in terms of work inside the embassy. You know, what position inside the embassy might be the best fit for you and how do we get that application lined up so that you've got the best chances of qualifying for the position? What are your opportunities on the local economy and what rules, local rules or laws do we need to navigate to make sure that you're staying in compliance, both with embassy rules and regulations and local laws? And what are your remote opportunities? What are your portable options to make sure that that this is just one step in your overall career progression? So then you continued as regional global employment advisor when you moved to Tokyo. I was so grateful to be able to take that job with me. And that really was one of the first roles that I was able to smoothly transition from one post to the other, really without any kind of hiccup. I did only end up staying in that position for the first year and a half that we were here in Tokyo because my husband's job here also required travel. And as a regional advisor, I had to travel and our kids were old enough to manage some things on their own, but not being by themselves in the house. So I ended up stepping down and moving away from that position, which was a really difficult choice to make, but one that was the right one for our family. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about how your kids transitioned from Israel to Hanoi, uh, to Vietnam, to Japan, and different schools, different friends, uh, and how that worked for them. You know, every transition has been different. The one from Israel to Vietnam was was probably our easiest looking back. The girls had friends, but at ages almost so six and almost eight, they didn't quite fully grasp what it was going to be like to be saying goodbye to friends. So that move wasn't as difficult. Moving from Vietnam to Tokyo was a, a little bit more of a challenge because they were older and wiser and understood what, what those goodbyes really meant a little bit more. And now that my kids are 11 and almost 13, we are navigating a new set of challenges in the transition. And I'd say with everything that they are learning, I am learning with them for sure. And that I'm doing my best too. And that together, Team Sheehan is going to get through it. But the difference is that you grew up in America. You understood American culture, American schools. This was your life in America. But your girls were teeny tiny when they left America, and now they're coming back for a new life in upper elementary school and junior high. Correct. Before COVID, we went home every summer and really spent a couple months every year with friends and family and and trying to keep our connections close to both our own relationships and also American culture. Yes, our kids are definitely going to have a few big things to learn once they get back to the States. We are finding ways to try to get them incorporated into the, their school system as quickly as possible. Thankfully, we have a big family in the region, and so lots and lots of cousins that happen to be the same ages as our girls. And so that hopefully will ease the transition a little bit, having a friendly face, somebody that you know is 100% safe because they're family and, and love you for for just who you are. So I wanted to ask you, what are your plans for when you come back? So Bonnie, I am really excited because my life recently came full circle. Back in December timeframe, and really for the last year, knowing that we were transitioning back to the States this coming summer, I started doing my own job search and looking for opportunities that seem to fit and be the next logical step for me. And back in December, I got a job alert for a position as 
the manager of career services for uh, law school in the DC area. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is it. This is the next job for me where I get to use all of my experiences, helping people through career transition to bolster the next generation of lawyers. So I've been working remotely since March, which has been an interesting challenge in terms of working nights to align my hours with DC hours. And I will go back to the office and be a part of their team in person as soon as we get back to DC in the next month or six weeks. So that is really an interesting story because you're already in the job. You're working remotely. Your hours are weird, but everybody's been working remotely. So you're not so odd in terms (laughs) of the COVID crisis. Everyone's been working from home. And as you come back this summer then everybody will be transitioning back into in-person work in offices. And so you've combined your career counseling with your law background, and sounds like you were the perfect candidate for that job. I am so excited. It really so far has been an amazing fit, great team. And now for this next chapter in my life, I'm really looking forward to having a mix, a hybrid schedule, if you will, to Uh, being in the office some days and being in person with a team and also having the opportunity to continue working from home. So let's look back on your whole foreign service career. So maybe before you got married, you envisioned yourself moving up the ladder in the legal profession, but your career took a different turn. Has your foreign service experience given you any opportunities, personal or professional, that you wouldn't have had if you had stayed in the U.S. all this time? And what have you learned from having various jobs, paid and volunteer, in all seven places where you've lived? Bonnie, this is an amazing question because there's no doubt in my mind that the life that we have led has given me so many more opportunities that I would not have had if I had remained as a lawyer in the DC area for the duration of of my professional and personal career. The adventures that we have had, the ways that I have grown and become a better person, a better mother, a better everything. Really, I don't think I could have become the person I am today without the experiences that we've had. And in terms of what I've learned from all of those various jobs is that I'd say the importance of recognizing and embracing that we always have a choice and that it is so important to look at your here and now, both in terms of time and geography, and figuring out what it is that you're supposed to learn or take from that point in your life, that place in the world. Laura, you are a great example of lifelong learning, as you just stated, having studied Arabic in Tunisia, then more recently earning a professional certificate in business administration, and in 2019, a certificate in professional coaching. So how did you get into coaching, and how do you help your clients in their job searches and careers? And what is, quote, empowering perspectives, unquote? How does that help build personal and professional networks? So probably one of the themes for this great discussion, Bonnie, has just been figuring out what is in your here and now and leveraging those times and opportunities to continue to move yourself forward. All of those uh, certificates and degrees that you mentioned were all things that at the time 
were things that I knew I needed to continue moving me forward. I think the biggest one or the most important ones were Arabic and most recently the certification in coaching. Right after I became a global employment advisor, I recognized that Of course, it wasn't just the diplomatic community that had spouses or accompanying partners that needed support in their career transitions, but it's the entire expat population worldwide that that has that same need. And if I wanted to make coaching something that was going to be a sustainable career choice for me, that I needed to pursue that certification and credentialing in order to open up as many doors as possible for myself and to make sure that I really had command of of the questions and the tools that were available to coaches worldwide. Empowering Perspectives was, was an offshoot of the realization that the need was greater than just the diplomatic community. And I wanted to help other people see and have that same revelation and feel their own individual power. And so Empowering Perspectives was and is a free monthly speaker series where anybody who wants to pursue their anything can get together and make their declaration of what they want to do. And it's amazing, Bonnie, what happens when you start telling people what you want to do, because people naturally want to help and naturally want to help connect you to other people that are doing those things or that have the resources that you need. And that's what this group did. It helped people say I am working on X or I really want to do Y and to have that group stand behind them, rally behind them and present the resources and the connections that they needed to help move them forward. And really at the end of every meeting, people walk out feeling stronger and empowered to do what they want to do. And that it's been amazing to see how that has, has transformed and how, how it continues to grow. That is amazing and empowering and giving people a sense of support, a sense of community, the networking where a lot of people who go overseas feel very alone. I think as foreign service families, we're fortunate in that we have a built-in community in the embassy that provides social support and other kinds of of networking. But you are creating that for other people who don't have that built-in support. So that's really important for them. I didn't see the bigger picture for so long and how I thought that everything that I was doing was completely unrelated from one job to the next. And now I can see that everything that I did was leading me to this point in time where I really feel like I am living up to my full potential, leveraging every experience that I've had in a way that now can help other people avoid or overcome the same challenges that I have had to navigate. And you had the openness and the flexibility to use that too, and not to get pigeonholed into one career or one set of careers, uh, but to use all of your experiences as a whole to lead you to where you are now. So do you have any final thoughts, lessons learned, words of wisdom, or advice for spouses whose partners are considering a career in the Foreign Service? What would be realistic expectations of a career in the Foreign Service for a spouse? There's no way that I can tell you what it's going to be like, the joys or the challenges of of being an accompanying partner and embarking on this journey. You're going to have to do it 
on your own and, and find your way and just know that the foreign service community will surround you and support you through everything that you are going through. With the hardships come the great joys and the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. This life is is one that I would not trade for the world and that I would encourage people to take on. Going in with eyes wide open, I'm not sure if anyone ever can. You just have to take that leap and see what happens. Evaluate as the years go by and see if you have to make a change. And throughout it all, remember that you have a choice in everything that you're doing. If something is is just not working, make it different. And, and that really is, I think, the best advice that I can give to anyone thinking about embarking on this journey. So Laura, on behalf of our listeners, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your experiences about how you have used your resourcefulness through many postings and disruptions to work inside and outside various U.S. embassies, to start your own business, to volunteer, and to raise a family. You are emblematic of someone who has adapted her skills to create a meaningful career overseas and in the U.S., as well as to help other Foreign Service families find employment in their postings. Thank you for listening. If you are curious to learn more about the lives of Foreign Service family members, subscribe and listen to additional episodes in our Partners in Diplomacy series. To learn more about the experiences of America's diplomats and diplomacy, visit our website at adst.org or check us out on Twitter and Facebook. The Partners in Diplomacy podcast is funded by the Una Chapman Cox Foundation. Our theme music is We Are One by Scott Holmes. Our assistant producer is Sumaya Ishrat. Our producers are James Fowler and Mark Rincon. Our audio engineering and post-production are provided by James Fowler and Post Productions. My name is Bonnie Miller. Until next time.